podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. The text for our reflection this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. Our theme is Walking the Line. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. If you're like me and you have moments during the week when you're tempted to feel sorry for yourself about just how hard it is to live through this pandemic and to be cut off from fellowship and community with the people that you know and love, spare a moment's thought for all of the towns on the border between the United States and Canada. Some of you have probably, for example, heard the story about Stewart, British Columbia, which happens to be just over the border from Hyder, Alaska. Now, Hyder, Alaska has no road contact with the real world except into Canada and into the town of Stewart. And Stewart has long served as the kind of center of commerce for Hyder. It's the place where people go. Now you have to imagine these aren't huge metropolises. We're talking about 80 people in Alaska, 400 people in British Columbia. But when the border closed, it cut off an entire community from everything that they had come to appreciate about shopping and, and medical care and even friendships. When the restrictions went into place in March, nobody thought that four plus months later, here we would be with the same restrictions, said Stuart Mayor Gina McKay, who at the outset of the pandemic promised to support the people of Hyder, Alaska. They've essentially been stuck over there and it is really taking a toll on their community. And it's not the only place. Here in Quebec, we can think of Stansted and Derby Line, town that's literally separated by the border. You've got a library in one of these towns where the the border runs right through the middle of the book stacks. And how difficult it has been for two communities that are so integrated to now suddenly have to be kept apart. Or Port Roberts, which is that little tiny peninsula that just happens to be below the 49th parallel south of Vancouver, not far from where Coral is, um, where those people have been cut off from their own country, not able to travel through British Columbia to get into the state of Washington. All the people that live in these towns are people whose lives are on the line, quite literally, the borderline. And it is hard when these borders that we sort of forget about sometimes suddenly are raised and become right up in your face and impossible to ignore. The Apostle Paul is in Rome, we're pretty sure, when he writes the letter to the Philippians. He is imprisoned at this point and he's awaiting his appeal to the emperor of the charges that have been brought against him in Jerusalem. And Paul, a little bit like the people in Hyder and Stewart and Derby Line and Stansted and Port Roberts, is living life on the line, a life caught between two worlds. The one world, of course, seems to be the world of failure. He's supposed to be the apostle of Jesus Christ, and yet here he has been dragged hither and yon across the Roman Empire by soldiers and different captors. He's 
in chains for some of it. And he's basically out of the game, at least in the mind of the Jewish authorities. We finally defeated Paul. On the other hand, he is quite a success and is living in that world as well. He is, after all, still an apostle of God through Jesus Christ, whom he has seen in his resurrected form on the road to Damascus, who has been with him every step of the way and through him has worked great conversions of people in the empire. So here's Paul living on the line between failure and success, and more than that, between life and death. If I am to live in the flesh, Paul writes, that means fruitful labor for me, it's one side of the line, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Paul's life is literally on the line because he could very well lose his case with the emperor and potentially be sentenced to hard labor or even executed. Or he could be set free and be able to go about continuing his mission of proclaiming the good news that in Christ Jesus, God has atoned for the sins of the world and brought redemption to all people. So how does Paul live this life on the line, this life on the edge, if you will? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's able to do this because he sees that God is on the line. That's where God comes and walks with us and guides us and pushes us along and pulls us and helps us when we start falling one side or the other. Paul, or God, is walking on those lines with us and calls us to be with him. So he calls on his young church in Philippi, which he addresses with so much affection, to join him in continuing to walk that line. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, there's that line again, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul says, I, I want to find out when I come to Philippi that I've not been up there on the cliff's edge, not up there on the line by myself, but that you have all been walking along with me. Of course, at this point, with all this discussion about borders and cliff's edges and walking on lines, you, you might be thinking, as I did, of tightrope walkers. Maybe you've thought of the truly famous ones like Charles Blondin, who strung that rope over Niagara Falls and walked back and forth not once but many times, even apparently cooking an omelet on a stove that he brought on his back, on the middle of the rope, over Niagara Falls. Like those were the days. Or perhaps uh, Philippe Petit, who was the one who strung that tightrope between the two twin towers in New York City while they were still standing and walked across from one side to the other. When Petit was interviewed and asked about being a tightrope walker 
and, and how do you train for this? And how do you mentally prepare yourself for that kind of a work? He said this in an interview. He said, work without stopping, we are told. Little by little, the wire must belong to you. The walker must also recognize that the terrain of the higher wire walker is bounded by death. You don't pretend that that can't happen, but the wire becomes yours. It becomes all you see and step by step, little by little, you make it to the other side. You must have confidence in the wire, standing firm, if you will, according to Paul's words, in the spirit, striving side by side. And it is those things that keep us as Christians from falling off one side or the other in life but rather remaining focused on Christ and his redemption. So what is that line for Christians? What are we walking between? Certainly death on either side. We walk in danger all the way as we sang in our opening hymn. But what is it about walking that line that makes it so hard? Well, the other thing that we often find ourselves walking as Christians is a line between two worlds. Walking the line means recognizing that in the world there are not enemies and allies, friendlies and foes, or good guys and bad guys. Because that's how the world thinks, and that's actually falling off the line when we start dividing everything up wrongly, and not the way God would have us look at the world. Instead, the scriptures tell us, and Jesus preaches, there are neighbors who understand and who don't, people who are on their way in Christ and those who are not yet on their way in Christ, people on one side of an issue and some on another, and yet all of them people, human beings. Orson Scott Card, who, while being a Mormon, does get some things right, wrote in one of his famous science fiction books these incredible words. The proponent of the book, a young boy by the name of Ender, is an incredible strategist, and he's able to fight this war against this alien invading force. And he's asked how it is that he is able to be so successful as a strategist. And he said to the one who was asking him, in the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, then in that very moment, I also love him. I think it's impossible to really understand somebody, what they want, what they believe, and not love them the way they love themselves. Notice that at no point does Ender ever become the enemy. But to understand them, he understands that he must love them. As Christians, this is the line we walk. We walk the line between haughtiness, I'm not like them, I'm better than them, God's chosen me and not chosen them, or the other side, which is fallenness. I'm so much like them that I will become them. In between haughtiness and fallenness is the place to which the Spirit calls us and the path of Christ. I will know them, and I will love them, but I will not become them.
if that was not how Paul approached his mission in the Mediterranean world, how else could he have made friends out of Caesar's household? I want you to know, brothers, Paul writes, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul doesn't become a pagan. He doesn't become a fallen Roman in his mindset. But he is able to love even the guards who are chaining him up. All for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the reality is that we fail at this. We strive for it. We work for it. And yet at the same time, we fall short too often. That's what sinners do, after all. We fall off the line, one side or the other. Luther recognized that in his own preaching. He said the world is like a drunken peasant. If you lift him into the saddle on one side, he falls off on the other side. One can't help him, no matter how hard one tries. Luther saw most of his ministry as tried to guide the church along that line, helping them walk the line, between haughtiness and fallenness, helping them walk the line between rigid legality and complete antinomianism where the law didn't mean anything anymore. And he himself said, this is a very difficult path to walk. And if it were not for Christ, and if it were not for his spirit at work in us, we too would never succeed. And so thank the Lord that Christ is always there looking, not just for those who are on the line, but even those who have fallen off to get them back up. You see, Jesus is the master who goes out looking for people who have fallen off the line, not just once or twice or three or four times, but continually through the day. That's what our parable from Matthew is about. That Jesus looks for laborers who have fallen off the employment wagon. And whether it is six o'clock in the morning or noon, or three, or even an hour before the end of the day, he's continually finding those people with no hope and no work and calling them to go out and work in his vineyard. And at the same time, when at the end of the day, when he has reached his goal, which is to make sure all of these laborers and their families in this one little village are going to be able to eat, and he sees that some of them are jealous of the others, that their families are going to have sufficient, he still doesn't give up. He still tries to get them back up on the line and urges them to look past themselves and their own jealousies. Friend, he calls them. I am doing you no wrong. I promised you a day's wage. Is that not what you received? The Lord's thoughts may be higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways, as Isaiah says, but he still sees us living lives between life and death, living lives between a world that is fallen and our desire to be in the perfect Christian world where all serves the good of the other. He comes and sees us and rescues us through his cross, redeems us from sin, gives us eternal life. Johnny Cash once sang, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. 
I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine. I walk the line. But Paul said it first, that he will continue walking the line between pride, which he talks about in 2 Corinthians, and forgiveness, which he talks about in 1 Timothy, between friends and enemies, even between life and death. And while he's walking that line, calling each of us to stand firm in Christ Jesus, to stand firm in our belief that in his cross and in his resurrection, he has become our forgiveness and our life. Because Christ is ours, we walk the line. And we know that Christ will always walk it with us. And when we fall, will pull us back up. That in the end, we will be in the place that he has prepared for us at the end of the line. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.